Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Morning, everybody. Morning, all you in the cars. You know, I'm reminded when I was um, new in Christ one summer, I actually preached. I was in college. I went up to Montana uh, and preached at a drive-in church. And everyone drove their cars to the drive-in, and you know, the, I was microphone and went into all the cars. And when they would clap, instead of clapping, people would honk and give a honk offering. It was awesome. Can we have a honk offering? Pay a honk offering? Yes, awesome. That's awesome. That's raising a hallelujah right there. Hey, I want you to know I am so thankful for you, and I am so proud of you uh, for weathering this year. As we're about to move back indoors, we've been telling you now for about five weeks. We come back together with a new wineskin. When Jesus said, I'll build my church, he never had in mind of a church where the few would put on the show for the many. He had in mind a church where everyone plays a part, everyone plays a part. And we come together on a Sunday as an offering together before the Lord. Sunday service doesn't mean you come together and sit down and look at the people up front and say, serve us. It means we're coming together to serve together in our gifting. So please, we want to invite you. The The most valuable asset of PCC is you, and we need you to be a part of what we do on the weekends, the catalytic gathering of the church. And on that note, one last thing before we pray. Thank you for uh, your giving that has fueled the mission of PCC these last 60 weeks. As we year uh, come near our year end, uh, our year end, We need your giving more than ever so the mission can continue. So thank you for praying for that. I think we should pray right now. Do you hear that? Is that just me? Is it the wind? No. Okay. Father, it's going to take more than the sound of wind to distract us because uh, this is a church where you're the center. We gather around a cross and we gather around your word and your Holy Spirit is here and beautiful things happen and have happened for 2,000 years as your church has gathered in far more dangerous places than this, in catacombs, in tombs, secretly right now in, in many countries, your church is gathering for fear of their life. Um, in the Middle East, Lord, in Israel and Palestine, Your church, your people are gathering fears of bombs. And as we talk about walls of hostility that Paul addressed in the first century, they still exist today in the Middle East around Israel. Oh, Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We ask for you to bring us peace as we continue this discussion about really about being peacemakers in a way that's different than any anything in our culture any solution our culture can create to be a peacemaker because Jesus, you are our peace. And so Lord, again, in the sanctuary that you created, may your will be done. May your kingdom come here on this lawn as it is in heaven. We pray for this. We long for this. We give our all for that, your kingdom entrance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You know, it actually was a dream as we were singing that song, I raised a hallelujah. 
I've always had a vision of um, kind of a volcano, this campus being a volcano and the fire of the Spirit of God coming off this campus into our city. And to think that we're singing hallelujah, which means God saves, Yahweh be praised. Uh, to sing that over our city was just beautiful. I want to share my heart before we jump into the message. And please, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, uh, either open them up or turn them on to Ephesians chapter 2, why I share my heart. Why are we doing Be the Bridge? I want you to hear me clearly. Uh, we are called to be bridge builders. We are called to be reconcilers. And we're stepping into a, uh, a conversation that's been going on just about, well, it's been going on for a long time, but it was reignited a year ago. It's a, it's a national conversation, national division, uh, the likes of which we haven't seen for some time. And we're hearing political perspectives and we're hearing media perspectives and we're hearing secular perspectives like critical race theory and other ways to, for, as a solution. I want to give us a biblical perspective that's way better than all of those. Way better. Where will you turn to be biblically informed to step into this conversation? I've always had a heart that we'd be on mission. You know that. You've lived that. And what we've done in being on mission is doing what Jesus did, and that is finding common ground with our culture. Think of the woman in Samaria in John 4. Jesus, over one question can you get me a drink, common ground, share the gospel. Right now, there is a huge discussion around race and ethnicity that's causing division. We're trying to use that as common ground because as the people of God, you're going to see this in a minute, from the start, the church has always led the culture in racial unity. It's always led the culture in racial unity. And so while you will get, and I'm not against this, a political perspective, while you will get a social media perspective, while you will hear secular theories like critical race theory on how to bring the culture together, we think we have something far better that differentiates itself. It's far more enduring, far more eternal than all of that, a biblical perspective. Jesus designed for his church. When he said, I will build my church and it will be so expansive to the gates of hell and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. He was talking about this time, this moment even that we're in. I know in my life what Christ creates, Satan always wants to counterfeit. That's in any area of your life. Jesus created his church to be a reconciling agent in our culture. And so please, we're, we're, we're being informed in this discussion like we've been informed for 70 years as a church, asking this one question, where is it written? And Holy Spirit, can you empower us to live into that? The only thing worse than um, being misunderstood is not having the discussion. I, I want to stand before God one day and talk, uh, say before the Lord, I'm, this isn't even about me, but I do have to answer for being your pastor for 24 years. And I want to say, I taught them the whole counsel of God. We equipped them to live on mission, to outlive their generation, which we're about to see the church has always done. So hear me clearly. We're not teaching critical race theory. And we're not informing social justice. We have something far greater than that, biblical justice. And if you want to see what that's like, even uh, next Saturday at 4 o'clock, many PCCers and tons of churches on the South Peninsula 
are gathering in the Palo Alto Town Square and having a remembrance uh, and a prayer meeting for biblical justice in the town square. Now, our town squares have been informed a lot with protests and what have you, the, the cries of a culture. 4 p.m. this Saturday, the churches in the South Peninsula are gathering. Uh, some of you know the name Francis Chan. He's going to be there praying. Other pastors are praying, crying out for something better than social justice, something better than CRT, crying out for biblical justice. I want to invite you to join us or join them in that. That's my heart, okay? Join us in these seven weeks as we're being the bridge, stepping into that. Take that step of faith and go into that. Okay, so there has been, uh, let's shift now. There has, and if you want to talk about that, I'll be here. I'm vaccinated. I'm free in Christ. Come talk to me. Uh, I would love that. Um, there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of writing on how the church started from this small sect of Judaism. That's how the church started to uh, catapulting out of the Roman Empire to what it is today where over a third of the known world gathers to celebrate Jesus. What are the factors on a human level that have led to that? Uh, many authors and many uh, many professors are writing on this. Probably the best is a man named Larry Hurtado. He teaches at Baylor University. And through his books, he's defined five things that catapulted the church out of the culture. Uh, out of the Roman Empire to what it is today. Five factors. Here's the, here they are. They were famous for their hospitality to the poor and the suffering. Uh, no one had ever seen what the church did in the first three centuries by the way they cared for the poor and the suffering. They were committed to the sanctity of life. Uh, there wasn't, um, I got a speaking code. Uh, there wasn't the, there, well, I'll just say, it, with infanticide, it was the church that cared for the newly born and that it was never seen before in the Roman Empire. Uh, they were a countercultural sexually. They, they had a radical ethic that was countercultural in the first three centuries than what was in the Roman Empire. They were a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. Hurtado says no one ever saw this. The, the Roman Empire was built on division, built on power. And the early church came together across socioeconomic and we'll see in a minute ethnic divisions and they lived reconciled. They actually forgave their enemies to the point of death because we follow Jesus who when being crucified said, Father, forgive them. And then the last thing is they were multiracial. Hurtado says and exactly what we're addressing here. They were multiracial. There was unity across ethnic racial boundaries in a way never before seen in the Roman Empire. Everyone listen to me. Look right here. Every single church planted in the New Testament. Don't raise your hand because I'm sure they would all go up. How many of us want to be a New Testament church, right? Every single New Testament church was multi-ethnic. There was never a New Testament church. Name them. Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia, uh, Philippi, Laodicea, name them, Colossae. They were all multi-ethnic. None of them were homogenous. And yet today, 77% of evangelical churches are homogenous. There was a time in the first three centuries where the church led the culture in tearing down walls and being one ethnically. What has happened in 2,000 years where we are lagging so far behind? That's why we're doing this series. 
One of those multi-ethnic churches planted was the church of Ephesus. And if you were to be a church planter in Ephesus, uh, a city divided by ethnicities, you would probably inform church planters to say, let's plant two types of churches. Let's plant a Jewish Christian church in one part of the city, and let's plant a multi-ethnic church for Gentiles in the other part of the city. But that wasn't God's design. He planted one church where Jews and Gentiles came together. And hear me, everybody. The city took notice. But it wasn't easy. And so Paul, in writing to Ephesus, continually addresses their relationship with each other. That's where we're picking up the conversation in Ephesians 2. We're going to grab it in verse 11. Is everybody there? Ephesians 2, 11. Here's what he says. Therefore, remember... Circle this word, formally. We all in Christ are formally. Can I get an amen? Right? We are all formally terrible people. And now we're just terrible people becoming better in Christ. We all have a formally story. And when we forget that, we start to think we're better than. We're not better than. That's going to be Paul's whole argument here. Formally, you who are Gentiles. I taught you this two weeks ago. The word Gentile in the Greek, ethnos. Is the word for ethnicities. Anything that wasn't Jewish was Gentile. Formerly, you were part of an ethnic group by birth and called, and this isn't a positive term, this is how the Jews used a pejorative against the ethnic other, uncircumcised. They thought they were better than, they called themselves the circumcised. Anything that wasn't like them, this isn't quite a racial slur, but it's close, it's a prejudiced term. The uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, that which is done the body, done by human hands. If we're going to be a family where anyone from any ethnic background can gather and feel at home, there's going to be no talking down to. We're not going to use slang against each other, even amongst ourselves. That was going on in the Ephesian church. Paul's calling it out. Remember, at one time, you were separate from Christ. Circle the word separate. Excluded from the citizenship in Israel. Circle the word excluded. Foreigners. Circle that word. To the covenant of promise. Without hope, without God in the world. I think that's the saddest verse in the New Testament. What you see here is division, division, division. That is a picture of the Roman Empire in the first century. Separate. Excluded without. Do you know what that's like? Can you emotionally go there a time in your life when you felt left out? When you wanted to be included, where you wanted something so bad, but your community reminds you, you don't qualify. You know, back in uh, three weeks ago, I was in the fireside room talking with our high school students. I love our high school ministry. I love our high school staff over there who uh, are battling for the next generation. And I was telling them about the time, the one time when I was 13 years old when I went to a youth group. I so badly wanted to know who Jesus was. I read my New Testament every night as a teenager, one chapter a night, because I was looking for Jesus, even as a 13-year-old. And my behavior was betraying and destroying me on the inside. And I'll never forget, I went to this one church in San Rafael. It was a youth group, and a friend invited me and said, meet me there. The friend didn't show up, and I showed up. 
I took a risk on a group and no one talked to me. They used this language I didn't understand, this church speak. No one engaged me. There were games going on that I wanted to be a part of even as a 13-year-old. And I was that kid just standing in the corner of the room watching this whole thing happen. And I left that experience and I said to myself, I will never go back to a church again. And I want to tell you, I was excluded. I was separated. I was without Christ. I was without hope. And I was in the world. And you just need to know, and I'm not blaming the youth group. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Those next five years of my life, I engaged in such destructive behavior. I still have the scars from them as a 56-year-old. Now, that's my former life. Christ is redeeming me. But I often wonder, what would have happened if somebody crossed a bridge and just said, I don't know you, welcome? What would have happened that night if somebody put up with my reputation on campus? They knew who I was and said, wow, Gadini's here. This is awesome, as opposed to going, what's he doing here? I don't want that to happen for anyone in our church. I want us to be so radically welcoming and inviting that no one has to live without hope, without Christ in the world. Paul says that's what you formerly were, but something changed. God designed and created this Ephesian church, which was an unstoppable force for the gospel. Has it been too long since you remember what you were formerly? Have you lost sight of what it's like to live without hope, without Christ in the world? Have you lost any friends? I mean, do you know any friends? I I know you do. I'm not asking as if you don't, but when's the last time you really sat down across the table and engaged someone apart from Christ and heard their heart cry? See, when you do that, it's not about you anymore. And Sunday's not about you anymore. You'll stop at nothing short of sin to see someone like that embrace Christ. Paul goes on in verse 13 and says, but now, praise God for the but now. But now, we don't have to live informally anymore. But now, if anyone's in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Someone better say amen or I'm going to give a lot more but nows. But now, we get heaven guaranteed. But now, the kingdom comes right now. And we get to live kingdom. But now it doesn't matter what my political ideologies are, what my, what my convictions are, conservative, radical, progressive, Republican, Democrat. That doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus. Because I once was formerly, but now I'm saved. Amen? But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once, now, now track with me, verse 14, 13 to 14, because Paul's alluding to something we don't know about 2,000 years later. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, ironically, Paul's alluding to something that's been in the news this last week around Israel. So let's just, let's just pay attention. You who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. See, that's what we have the advantage of our secular culture. We have the he himself. We have Jesus who is our peace. Amen, Pea? Amen. He's our peace. He's our life giver. He's made the two groups, what church? 
one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That word hostility means aggressive hatred. That describes the Roman Empire. Sadly, that described the church in the first century, the religious system of the first century. Aggressive hatred, hostility. Paul's alluding to the Temple Mount, which has been in the news. There's a, you know, bombs are literally flying right now as we speak because of an, an, an event that took place at the Temple Mount. And the way the Jews uh, built the temple, you had, think of this whole platform as the Temple Mount. Think of the drum set as the Holy of Holies. They believed this is where the presence of God dwelt. And the next, and only once a year, a high priest could enter into this room. And then next to the Holy of Holies was the area for the priests to minister. And then there was a wall. And behind that wall was an area where the men could minister. They could get as close to the priests in the Holy of Holies, closer than anyone else. And then there was a wall. And behind the men were the women. And they could only minister so far. And they were further than the men because they weren't worthy like the men. They were further than the priests because they weren't as good as the priests. They were back here. Then there was a wall. And the farthest place in the temple was reserved for the ethnicities, people that were non-Jewish to worship God. It's called the court of the Gentiles. This is actually the court that Jesus turned the tables over because uh, the Jewish people were selling and, and wanted to make money on worship, and they thought, well, we're not going to put the, the, the sales items in the place where the priests. We're not going to put them where the men are. We're not going to put them where the women are. They need their space. I know. Let's block the Gentiles from coming in. Let's put the tables here. And Jesus comes in and turns them over and says, my place, my house is a house of prayer. And then he says, for all ethnicities, for all people, but you've made it a den of thieves. The wall that separated the Gentiles from the court of the women had signs on it. And they literally have just dug up these signs within 20 years. And it literally read something like this. You, you can, I've got it footnoted. Email me and I'll show you where the signs are. Gentiles may not go further on punishment of death. It was a wall of hostility. It was a wall that said you can only go so far because you're not worthy of getting closer to God. Paul is saying that used to be the old way, the former way. But now in Christ, that wall has been obliterated. Christ broke through the wall, doing away with that. In Christ, Paul says, he's torn down all the walls, giving us a whole new understanding of how humanity should function. Now, I got a question for you, church. Are there any walls of hostility in your mind? in your life, in your reasoning? Do walls of hostility exist as you view people and sum them up? Don't believe for a second this was a Jewish issue that existed thousands of years ago. We all have metaphorical, literal walls of hostility where, where we divide 
people. In some ways, the north-south barriers uh, that we travel down are walls of hostility. Metaphorically, the, the 280 is a wall of hostility between the socioeconomic level west of the 280 and the socioeconomic level east of the 280. The El Camino is a wall of hostility. The Alameda is a wall. But I'm concerned about other walls that exist in our church. We create walls politically conservative versus politically progressive. Vaccine, no vaccine. Mask, no mask. What walls of hostility exist in your mind? Around ethnicity, around thought. Paul says, in Christ, our allegiance to him should tear down any wall. Paul even said, I don't view anyone from a worldly point of view anymore in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Thank you, Mama Ange. Walls of hostility. How do you do this? Look at this, verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself, now he's going to get that word again, one Unity, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death hostility. He came and preached peace. Now look at this again, temple, to you who were far away, peace to you Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. For through Jesus, we both have access to the Father, through one spirit. See, the walls of hostility got torn down between Christ followers in the early church because he cured, Jesus came to cure the universal problem that exists in humanity. And this is what we're not going to get in secular culture. This is where our worldview, not that we're better than, but we have a far deeper and more lasting cure to the racism that exists. That's why we're taking this time to be the bridge. We have the hope that our culture's longing for. Jesus came to preach against the universal problem in humanity that's dividing culture, that transcends race, religion, education, even politics. That problem is sin, my friends. And the one solution to that problem is the death of Jesus, which is for every person. So as I hold out the hope of the gospel for somebody, I'm offering an opportunity for somebody to be new from the inside. And they will see everything differently. That's why in Christ, we offer a more enduring solution to what divides than anything our culture will counterfeit. The walls of hostility got torn down between Christ followers in the early church because he cured that problem. He replaced a sin nature with a sanctified nature in Christ. And when Jesus rose from the dead, please hear me. I'm getting ready to land the plane. Just hear me out. He created, when he rose from the dead, Paul saying, a whole new race of humanity. A third race, instead of Jew-Gentile, a third race was put on the planet, the in-Christ race. So that our identity is not primarily, I'm 100% Italian, I am a dual citizen. I'm an Italian citizen, I can show you my passport, I'm an American citizen. But you know what's more important than me being Italian-American? Being in Christ who just happens to be an Italian-American. The problem is we've reversed that. 
And somehow we feel like this race issue is a zero-sum game where if I hear you out and, let, and empathize with you, like we learned last week through Susie's message, somehow I'm taken away from me. That, that's not how it works in the kingdom. It's not a zero-sum game. It's an abundance game in Christ. We have unlimited power that we can tap into. I'm so glad Jesus came to earth and empathized and didn't identify primarily with his Jewishness, but became the savior of the world who happened to be Jewish and come into a Jewish people. This is radical, my friends. This means that if you're in Christ, your primary identity is not white, black, yellow, brown, Republican, Democrat, independent, Cal, Stanford, male, female, mask, no mask, vaccine, no mask, no vaccine. That is not your primary identity. That's not what we build walls over. Hold your convictions, but my goodness, let's be in Christ and keep to that conviction and let the walls fall down so anyone can hear about the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, we can clap for that. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Those are important distinctions. I'm not saying don't have, believe it or not, I even have political convictions. I don't share them with you. But in Christ is way more important than our political convictions. And are we willing to die to our political convictions if it means more people come to Christ? That's the question I want to hear clapping over. <laughs> That's the question you got to wrestle with. At what price are you willing to die? What are you willing to pay the price to die so that the gospel can advance? You know, this is important to me. This word reconciliation makes uh, means to make two enemies one. So I told you I, I came to Christ in college. And two years into college, because I was going on a mission trip and because of an agreement I had with my father where I would pay for college, he would pay for room and board. He thought somehow that uh, if I paid for college, it would be a more meaningful education. And it was. Uh, but he, I, I was gonna want to go on a mission trip. I wouldn't be able to work in the summer where I earned most of my money for college. And I remember talking to my dad who didn't understand and said, well, you're just going to have to drop out of school. I said, I think there's a better way, dad, and, and prayed about it and learned that um, in our uh, university elections, if you ran for an executive office, you got a full ride scholarship, uh, tuition, Books, room, board, all that. I didn't get room, board. Tuition and books, paid for. I'm like, there's a solution. So before I knew it, I'm involved in a campus-wide election. Every college would put together a representative from their school, and that was the Senate in the college, and I ran to be the chair of the Senate, everybody. And by God's grace, long story, but I won. But in the midst of that, I ran the midst of a race war back in 1984, on my campus. And there was the most uh, vocal advocate running from the School of Arts and Sciences who was a different ethnicity than me, and he hated me. He called me out. He spread lies about me, and I didn't like him either. And he won, and I was the Senate chair, and I won. And we're going on this retreat together, a Senate retreat the school paid for, and everyone got in their cars. I had a little Datsun pickup, and guess who jumps into my car? I'll call him Jack. Wasn't his real name. I'm like, oh, great. So we're driving down, and I'm playing a song, uh, an album by a dude named Leon Batillo. Anyone there? I'm dating myself. 
Yeah, Leon played for Santana. Yeah, he played for Sly and the Family Stone. Anyone heard of them? Um, I'm really old. And, um, and meanwhile, Leon uh, got saved and started singing Christian music. So he's singing this song called Yahweh. And Jack in my seat says, Yahweh. He goes, you believe in Yahweh? And he knew. I ran on a Christian platform. I'm like, yes. He's like, oh, my gosh. He's like, I smoke ganja, and I think about Yahweh. I'm like, that's great. What else are you going to tell me? So we're driving. At the end of it, he's like, can I have that song? I'm like, I just put ejects, gave him the cassette tape. Kids, ask your parents what that is later. Gave him a cassette tape. Uh, and then we went to our retreat. He got a ride home with someone else. And I'm like, Phew, thank you, Lord. I was not uh, a good example. Now, fast forward to the fall. I'm walking on campus, going to the Senate chambers, and all of a sudden, he says, Gary, Gary. I knew that voice anywhere. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here we go. And the first thing out of his mouth is this. Praise the Lord. I thought he was mocking me. He's like, you got to hear what happened to me. He's like, Leon Patillo held a concert at the Concord Pavilion this summer. I went to the concert because I wanted to hear the song Yahweh. He shared the gospel with me. He's like, I'm born again. I am a new person, Gary. We're brothers in Christ now. I almost didn't believe it. But in Christ, what happened was we experienced throughout the year a unity, and we brought together and had forums around race and ethnicity because together, Jack, not his real name, and Gary, my real name, uh, we together had something the university had no um, understanding of how are these two getting along and it's real and we pointed to Christ I realized in doing this I had forgotten that story that God is just, just bringing me back to my beginning in this Be the Bridge series we are called to be reconcilers my friends we are called if we're reconciled with Jesus to reconcile others we are called to see Every person differently. By the way, that is why there's a Foster the Bay table back there. Because there are over 200 kids right now in San Mateo in the foster care system. Uh, and we believe in Christ through the church. It's not just PCC that uh, we have a solution to this. want to encourage you, June 6th, there's a meeting. Just please go back to the Foster the Bay table before you leave and find out how you can either pray for, be respite care for, or even be a foster care parent because we see people differently. Okay, I've got to end. Bummer. Jesus died, my friends, so that we might be unified. Look at verse 15 to 18. You're going to see three phrases. One new humanity... A new race is on the planet, everybody. Let it be said of PCC in this city that is 50% non-white. Let it be said there is a new race in our city, in Christ. One new humanity, one body, verse 16, having access to God through one spirit. The only way we're going to do this is in the power of the Holy Spirit. This, friends, is the bridge that we're asking you to be. This, friends, is the bridge we're asking you to walk. So what do I want you to do with this week? I want you to wrestle with this. What walls of hostility exist in your life? What walls of hostility exist in your life? Who are you not at peace with? Is there a relationship that's unreconciled?
in your life. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the two critical components to reconciliation. Don't miss next week. We're going to talk about those, confession and forgiveness. Don't miss next week. But right now, I'm asking you to wrestle with and the Holy Spirit to ask, who, uh, who is it that you're not reconciled with? And then the final question, what's keeping you from being the bridge? If you're not in a group, it's not too late to join a group. If you haven't gotten a book, it's not too late to get a book. What's keeping you from following Christ and joining this study? We're almost halfway through. Why wouldn't you want the cross-cultural tools to reach our city with the gospel and give them a hope that's much greater than anything that they would offer? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we see how you use the Ephesian church in the early church. Holy Spirit, we love you and we thank you that you electrified your followers um, in the early church to be radically different. They had, they had no political power. They had no um, cultural power. And yet you used them. They had no buildings. They had no budget. But you used them, Lord, because they had something greater than all of that. They had the gospel. They had your presence. They had a resurrected Savior and a Holy Spirit dwelling within them. My prayer is that you do it again in our day. Lord, that you would light a fire in us Monday through Friday that we would be the reconcilers, the bridge builders you want us to be. So Jesus, you could show up in unexpected places, in unexpected ways, through us. May it be. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.